We are going to jump straight into God's Word this morning. Uh, if you've got a Bible on you, why don't you grab it? If not, the words will appear behind me. We're reading today from Psalm 63, and we're going to read um, all of it this morning. Um, it's 11 verses. It's not particularly long, but we're reading today from Psalm 63, and this is God's Word. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you, my whole being longs for you, in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him while the mouths of liars will be silenced. And we thank God for his word that still speaks so clearly to us today. So we reach the end of this little mini-series that we've been running through January, um, where we have been trying to walk through a psalm each Sunday, okay, letting the Bible songbook speak to us in this New Year time, okay? We've had different people communicating different psalms throughout this month, okay? And this time of year, right, this time where we look back and we look forward, it tends to be a little bit more reflective, doesn't it, January? We look back, look forward, reflect, but we also maybe hope or long or make resolutions for the year that is going to be ahead of us. Psalm 131, Psalm 23, Psalm 8, Psalm 4, and now this morning we land in Psalm 63. They have been our guides through this month of January. If you want to kind of reflect or go back over those maybe as you think and pray and process at this the end of the month, that's where we've been. And today, as we round off this series, we're in this psalm, Psalm 63, that has been ringing loud in my ears throughout the last month or so. And at the heart of this psalm is hunger. You want to take a thematic kind of the major idea communicated from this psalm, like what is it saying to us? The major idea, the major emphasis of this psalm, it's hunger, right? It's It's hunger. And things in life have this curious kind of habit of becoming pale, don't they? Things in life, they, they peel. Like, uh, inevitably watching films over Christmas, okay? At one point, I don't know why, but I ended up watching Jaws, okay? And I don't know if, like, you ended up watching films that, you know, from back in the day. Like, in back in the day, like, the special effects were, like, amazing, right? And now you watch it back and you're like, it just looks so terribly, like, it's so terrible, it's laughable, right? I can't believe people were afraid of that shark, right? It looks like something somebody made out of paper mache, right? Like, it's terrible, right? The effects that were so groundbreaking once, you're now like, no, no, that, that just doesn't get me at all. They peel, don't they? Once they look good, now they, they peel. Or how about your job, for example? You work so hard, climb the ladder, right? You do a degree to get a career, and in that career, you try to work your way through to get the job. 
Except just about everybody finds out at some point that the job they so desperately wanted, they find when they get there, even the job can peel. What about stuff, right? Lots of things now actually work on like, you know, a contracted policy. Like you essentially rent them, right? Uh, so that what you're forced to do is upgrade eventually. Like you, you, you never believed anything could be better than your iPhone 4. But now like when the new one comes out, you're like, I need that. I don't know why. I mean, it looks fundamentally exactly the same as the last one, but I need it, right? Well, they peel and we want the next thing. And how about even love? The term seven year itch. It's pretty well known out there in the world, right? Where many marriages and long-term relationships, they break down and around that seven-year time frame. What started as exciting and butterflies all the time, over time, eventually becomes normal, maybe even becomes boring. Because even, it seems, love can peel, can't it? And so the question that leads me to is, what about your relationship with Jesus? What about your relationship with Jesus? If the media we consume can peel, if the stuff we own can peel, if the job we lead can peel, if the love that we have can peel, what about your relationship with Jesus? Can it peel? Has it peeled? For so many of us, the common experience was coming to faith in Jesus and being full of fire and hunger and desire, like you thought you could change the world, right? Like that moment you gave your life to Jesus is so marked by this just appetite and desire to go where he is and do what it is he's doing and to be around Jesus and and to long for him to move in your life. We burn brightly. And then for many of us, just over time, we, we dim, don't we? We peel. A love for Jesus, the one who has all of our attention at some point, over time peels. Or maybe it's more like a seasons thing, you know? Like that youth team you went away on or that summer mission camp you went and you were part of or that experience that you had in your life, like the highlight reel, mountaintop part of your faith. And life is lived in this kind of perpetual kind of mountaintop just followed by like, you know, gradual valley. Mountaintop, gradual valley between bright and peel. And so the question for me is, as I read this psalm, how do we cultivate hunger? How do we cultivate hunger in our lives? Like if our relationship is possible to peel, how do we cultivate the sort of hunger that won't let it? That desires to stay in the place of burning brightly and desiring Jesus. I like to think of myself as a reasonably impassioned person, right? I'm usually quite animated about things in my life. My mom and dad used to give me stick, okay, all the time because they said as a teenager, and I don't think much has changed now, that for most of my life I only ever spoke in superlatives, apparently, right? Everything was either the best thing ever or the worst thing ever, right? And that's the stupidest comment ever, right? It's not, couldn't possibly be true, right? There was never anything in between, right? And I like to think of myself as quite impassioned. And perhaps for that reason, I've always been so moved by people or by stories and books that have been marked by hunger. I'm just really moved by people whose lives sort of, uh, they they show or they demonstrate a hunger for whatever it is. I, I find that a fascinating thing. It makes me realize every time I read a testimony or whatever, like just this week I went down the rabbit hole. I don't really know why, but I went down the rabbit hole of reading about the life of Polycarp, okay? And in particular, the martyrdom of Polycarp. If you've never read about it, it's incredible. Like it's, it's just incredible. Like at one point they threaten him with death and they say like, we've got wild beasts. We're going to kill you with wild beasts. And he's like, bring your animals. And then they're like, are you joking me? We're going to burn you. He's like, 
bring your fire. Like it's just like the faith, the burning desire, the hunger. I find it utterly compelling because when I read stories like that, I find that I can't help myself think, I want to follow Jesus like that. I want to hunger like that. Like I don't want to live a Christian life following Jesus, just gritting my teeth trying to survive the world that we live in. I don't want to live a jaded, cynical faith. I don't want to live anything. I don't want to live anything halfway in. I don't want to peel. I want to live the life of hunger. I want to live the life desperately seeking him and defiantly adoring him. I want to be that person marked by that quote that I love so much from Leonard Sweet when he said, I only want to write one thing over the doorpost to my heart and my life. Jesus Christ lives here. That's the sort of life I want. And I long for us to become a community like that too. That's why we're in this psalm today, because it's so resonated with me. I long for us to become a community marked by hunger. Whether we're together in the gathered space and it's like almost a palpable sense of hunger and expectation, or whether you're alone in your workplace, alone in your house, Whether we're in desert seasons where things are hard or whether we're in sweet seasons where things are good. And so we land in Psalm 63, a psalm of David, a psalm of worship, but totally marked by hunger. And if we want to become that people, right? You want to become that individual. We want to become that community marked by hunger. Then I think David teaches us especially about two things that are the keys to that hunger. And they're these, desire and delight. Desire and delight. The first of those is desire. Let's just read those first four verses again from Psalm 63. This is what it says. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. Desire. It's a fascinating thing, isn't it? And it's something we've, we've dug into a number of times here at church. If you want to kind of recap, we spent a whole Sunday talking about desire at one point in a series called Follow Me, okay? If you want to look back in podcast form or whatever, we, we spent some time as we looked at Mark 8 looking at the notion of desire because desire is absolutely central to the things that we give ourselves to, okay? The stuff like we really commit to in life is not the stuff that just makes head sense, right? It's not the stuff we just think is a good idea. It's not the stuff that we just get dragged into because somebody else does it. The stuff we really give ourselves to is the stuff that is around our longings, okay? The the writer James K.A. Smith, right, he says that we live in line with our loves, okay? So it's really a war of loves. It's the stuff that captivates our heart is the stuff that we will live in line with. And so desire is key, And what's interesting about David in this psalm is that this desire is not pointed towards something abstract, right? Like the idea of longing for God is not like an abstract, like somewhere out there, there's some like ethereal help, cosmic power, and it may help me today, right? Like it's not abstract, it's personal, right? He says this, it is you, God, are my God, earnestly I seek you. 
And actually, this is a really old phrase in terms of the Bible and in terms of God's people. It's not like this was original to David. This goes way back since the start. You'll find it in Genesis 17. You'll find it right through to Hebrews 8. It is one of the cries of God's people. You, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you, right? It's how they referred to God. My God. Not the God. Not a God. Not great big God, my God. This desire is not the groping of a stranger or the aimless grasping somewhere out there. It's the personal longing for one he knew well and loved deeply. You, God, are my God, and earnestly I seek you. This was personal. And oh, to love Jesus like that. Oh, to love Jesus like that. To long for him not as some kind of like hopeless thing, you know. So often I hear people use the word hope, but actually what they're communicating is hopelessness, right? Like, I hope that turns out okay. Not stood on a solid foundation of hope in the one that we know. Oh, to love Jesus like that. Well, and so what feeds it, okay? Well, uh, the context is interesting for this psalm. And I think the key to understanding it is actually right in the words of the title. So if you have a Bible on you, you will see the title there. Right at the top, it will say something like this. Psalm 63, a psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. Now, that's important in this case, okay, because most commentators and scholars, they think that he was in the desert, okay, because it was a period of time that was spent fleeing the kingdom, and he ended up in the desert, okay? So sometimes I think when we read the Psalms, we can kind of think of it as like, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, it's not it's kind of mysterious language, ethereal, it's a picture, right? It was not a picture, it's literal. He was in the desert, okay? And he was in the desert because the person he was fleeing from was his own son, Absalom. He's fleeing from his own son. You can read all about it in 2 Samuel 15, okay? But in a sense, okay, his own son rises up against him, betrays him, and turns his people against him. And so he's on the run. He leaves everything. Runs from the palace, runs from his people. He even leaves the Ark of the Covenant behind to get away. Like he leaves everything fleeing from his son. Can you imagine the heartache? Just for a moment, those of you that are sons, those of you that have sons, can you imagine that? Your own son wants you dead. And you flee to the desert. Can you imagine the disillusionment and the disappointment and the hurt? And now where are you? From the palace to the desert. This isn't imagery. This was real. And yet this is what he says. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and I've beheld your power and your glory. What's he doing here? What's he doing here? The answer, I think, is somewhere in understanding that he's in the gap. At this moment in time, he's in the gap. He could still think about and remember the sweet times when he knew God's nearness as he gathered in the sanctuary with God's people. But yet here, he's totally dislocated in the desert, isn't he? His circumstances and his vision of God and his experience of the world, 
they weren't satisfying at this moment in time. How do I know? Because the word he uses is thirst. He's thirsty. And what's he thirsty for? He's thirsty for something to change. But not only that, he's thirsty for the one who brings the change. He's in the gap. He remembers times like this, but life looks like that. And that space between the experiences we have had of God and the reality of what we are looking out at, that's the gap. And I say that because maybe some of you are there right now. Maybe that's you right now. Maybe you're in the place where you can remember, you can think on. David says he beheld, okay, which, which in some ways he, he's remembered, he gazes upon. He can see the sweet times that he had with God in the sanctuary, okay? He's looking at them. They're in his mind's eye. He remembers what it was to feel like that, but actually he feels like this. Maybe you're in the gap right now. Maybe your experience of God and your experience of the world, they just aren't lining up. Here's what I want to say to you about the gap today. Hunger lives there. Hunger lives there. Hunger lives in the gap. I mean, think about it for a moment, right? Those of you, and I know it will be many of you, that have set yourself fitness or gym-related goals for 2023, okay? Bless you if you are still achieving on those and you haven't yet failed. But those of you that have set gym-related or diet-related goals embraced since the start of this year, here's the thing. It wasn't the picture on the front of Men's Health magazine that stirred you to do it. It was looking in the mirror one day, wasn't it? You looked at yourself. And what you saw looking back at you and the picture that you had in your mind's eye, they didn't line up, did they? So what lives in the gap? Hunger. I'm going to sign up. I'm going to commit myself. I'm going to take on that routine or that regime. I'm going to get a PT. I'm going to do Whole30. Like whatever it is for you, I'm going to do it. Hunger lives in the gap between where you are and where you long for. And when you think about your following Jesus too, right? It's not normally in the sweet seasons, the highlight stuff that throws you into the hunger for the Lord to move, is it? It's the gap where the hunger lives because it's then that you find yourself calling out, crying out, longing, come on, Jesus, I need something to change. I need you. Being really honest, the last couple of years in my personal life have been marked by a huge challenge. I meet people who are in clergy or church leadership all the time, and, and normally we'll have this conversation that goes something along the lines of, they're good, but ministry's been really hard, right? People not coming back to church from COVID, all of that, the sort of challenges that are out there in the world. But they're good. And if I'm honest, my story over the last couple of years has been the complete opposite. Like, this is such a personal encouragement to me, chock full of life and good stuff and people meeting Jesus and, and getting orientated around him and plugging into the church. And I'm so encouraged by all that's been going on around stuff. But my personal life of change and grief and loss and stuff has been hard. And to be honest, I, I would say that I don't think I have ever been so driven into the arms of Jesus. I don't think I've ever had as many times in my life where I find myself saying, I have nothing left. I need you. And I need you now. Hunger lives in the gap. It's not in the good times we tend towards hunger. It's in the gap. John Tyson says of it, the gift is in the gap. And here's the question. If you're there right now, 
If that's you, is our prayer, Jesus, fix my problems, or is your prayer, give me you? If you're in the gap, is your prayer, Jesus, just fix my problems, fix my stuff, or is it, give me you? Because I know what David's was. This is what he says. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. I've seen you and I long for you. Hunger lives in the gap. And if that's you today, for whatever reason, this is the space where we find our desire. Hunger lives in the gap. But secondly, the second key is delight. The second key is delight. It's about desire and it's about delight. Let's just read on verses five to seven. It says this, I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. And so David's thirst is met. The first four verses communicate thirst. The next number, the next three, they communicate satisfying. And we tend to be massively evangelistic in this world about the things that delight us, don't we? Like being honest with yourself, you will all, either you are or you have a friend who is that person who doesn't shut up about the great TV they've just watched, right? You know that evangelistic person or that great takeaway they had or the food they went out for or the brunch they had this last week like that, that is like evangelistic about it. Like you have to go, you have to go, right? Like one of those people, right? We shout it from the rooftops most of the time and David is doing exactly that too. Because the prayer moves from the thirst to the satisfaction. And the thing I find so interesting is that in both of these sections, right, verses 1 to 4 and verses 5 to 7, in both the seeking and the satisfying, it's God that he longs for. In that section, verses 5 to 7, um, with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I will sing in the shadow of your wings. It's God at the center of his desire and at the center of his delight. And that's astonishing because if I'm honest and that's me, I'd probably only be satisfied when I found the solution to my stuff. Right? I'd probably only be saying, thank you, Jesus, when my stuff gets sorted, right? But that's not where he is. And David's stuff is huge, right? I'm only saying, like, you know, thank you, Jesus, when my stuff gets sorted, when it's something trivial most of the time. The reality for David, he's, like, under threat from his life. His kingdom is being taken over by his son. You know, there's a lot of big things in there. But I've seen you, and I long for you, and now I've met you. So I've looked for you, he says. And how often in my life is it Jesus that I'm looking for in the middle of this stuff? As you look at your life, is it him that you're looking for or is it just the solution to your problems? Because that's the challenge of what David says and he finds delight in the one that he's devoted to. Not delight in just his problems being solved, delight in the one that he's devoted to. You know, when I worked for Alpha, I would sit in 
on so many Alpha courses. I would come and visit courses from time to time, see how they were going. We ran our own courses through that period of time. And I would hear this same thing over and over again when I sat down in small groups. And it would go something along the lines of, there is something missing from my life, or I just feel there's something more. Or it would come out in some sort of longing for transcendence, right? Like something beyond everyday life, whether people found it in the arts or in music or in nature or whatever it was. Like again and again, I would hear from people, there's just something missing. I I feel that there's something more and I don't know what it is. David talks about that in verse 1. That's what he's talking about when he talks about thirst. And in fact, Jesus will talk about it too in John 4. And he'll say this, Jesus answered everyone who drinks this water, that's just normal water in a well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In this room today, I'm sure there are some of you who are thirsty. I'm sure there are thirsty people here today. You know something is missing. Maybe that's not how you can express it right now. Maybe you just have this itch that when you look at life and all the rest, that your sense of feeling about it is, is this it? Like, Maybe it's transcendent stuff that gets you. I don't know what it is, but there's bound to be thirsty people in this room today. You try to fill it with all kinds of things. Most of us do. Relationships, influence, sex, money, authority, stuff. Here's the thing. David had all of those things. He's a king, right? Well, he was a king. One of the most powerful men in the world at that time. He had lots of money. He had lots of power. He had lots of authority. He had lots of influence. He had lots of sex. And yet he knew that his thirst was only met when Jesus came close. I want to say to you today, if you're in that place and you know something's missing from your life, that there's only one person that can satisfy it. I'm so glad you're here. Not because I can point you to my life or anyone else's life in here who's got the secret to having it all together, right? None of us do. He's got the secret to being just a great person and and just not being a disaster, right? That's not who we are. I'm delighted you're here so we can help you meet Jesus. And meet the only one that can meet the thirst in your life. But I also want to say, right, that the challenge of David's prayer here is also to know that it's possible to love your health, your family, your job, your hobbies, and your life, and thank God for them, right? But not love God. It's possible to love all those things and thank God for them, but not love God, because those things are still more important to you than He is. That's the challenge of David's prayer. This is what he says, because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. And I recognize we can read that and we can think some part of us in our heart of hearts is like, really? Like, really? I don't believe it. The thing is, though, David had lots of everything. He had lots of everything. Everything in a worldly sense that we could probably desire. He had lots of it all. But what does he say is sweeter than it all? God's love. God's love. And it was his delight. When I first got together with Joy, um, you've no idea how many people would spend their time telling us, oh my goodness, you two are so alike. 
or they'd be like, she is like the female version of you. And I don't know, some part of me kind of believed that that was true until it was we got married. And then we found out that we were fundamentally different people, like entirely opposite on just about every aspect of life, right? And for the first period of our marriage, right, some part of that was like, it was a challenge, right? It was disappointing because I'm thinking like, we're really similar. No, we're not. Like we're actually pulling in different directions all the time, okay? And that was challenging, right? We're different people. It's hard. And I think when we think about worldly love, okay, our sense of relationships with people, very often we run from it because of how different we find it or because we experience so often that the deeper we go with people, the more disappointed we can get. People who like build those barriers up around themselves. They don't want to let anyone in because if they let people in, I'm going to get hurt if you get in. I'm going to get hurt. Here's the thing that David says about God's love. That the deeper we go, the better it gets. Not the deeper we go, the more disappointed we get. The more different from us we realize it is, the more awkward it is, the more difficult. Whatever. That's not what he says. The deeper we go, the better it gets. And David's life is testimony than that, right? He's not in the honeymoon period of his faith. He's not in a sweet season. He's in a desert. And his life is under threat. And he's there with a broken heart. And in that moment in time, he's looking out. And what is it that he's longing for and standing on? What is it that he's decided is the only thing that is going to work for him in that time? God's love. God's love. And it was better than life. And it was his delight. And I want to say to you today that hunger grows as we learn to delight in God. We need to learn to do it because very often it doesn't come just as a default setting. Learning to delight in him, it's not something that we just get, right? You come to faith and all of a sudden I just delight in you, Jesus, right? Like that's not how it works. We have to work at it. We have to work at it. To delight in his presence, to delight in his goodness to us. We should long for it like David did when he didn't feel like it. And he didn't see it. But we have to work at it. It takes time. Tim Keller, I read this from him this last week, and this is what it says. The sense of his absence, the dissatisfaction with his absence, is an evidence that he has touched you. The sense of his absence and the dissatisfaction of his absence is a sense that he has touched you. And so I wanted to ask, what about you? Have you settled for a life with Jesus in the dissatisfying place? Like, are you just okay with it today? Like, I'm, I'm just okay with his absence. To be honest, the rest of my life is pretty good. It's quite fulfilling. I'm doing pretty great on most of the fronts of my life. So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna settle for this being just okay. When was the last time you just delighted in him? I believe that one of the things that we are to be here in the city is a people marked by hunger. Not just because it's growing or your friends come here or some girl that you fancy does, but because you are hungry. And this is a place where hungry people come because you hunger after the Lord. I believe that we're to be a community marked by hunger. And that hunger is first about desire. And the reminder today that desire grows in the gap. 
And second, that hunger is about delight, that we are made to delight in something far richer than just good food or nice houses or whatever else. We're made to delight in him. I read this again from Roland Allen over the last week. Told you I went down the rabbit hole of impassioned people. But I read this from Roland Allen in the last week. And he's referring to the growth of the church, the mission of God in the world when he says it. And this is what Roland Allen wrote. He says this. The spontaneous expansion of the church reduced to its elements is a very simple thing. It asks for no elaborate organization, no large finances, no great numbers of paid missionaries. In its beginning, it may be the work of one man, or that a man neither learned in the things of this world nor rich in the wealth of this world. What is necessary is faith. What is needed is the kind of faith which uniting a man to Christ sets him on fire. Hunger. What is necessary to change the city of Belfast and far beyond? Hunger. Hunger is. Lord, make us a community of hunger like that. I just want to wrap up and before we get to communion in a little minute. And I wanted to give you some practical ways, right? Because I realize we can come to talks like this where we talk about things like hunger and you kind of get airy-fairy responses of what am I meant to do? That just try really hard to love Jesus more, right? That's not really how it works, okay? You're going to need more than that. I wanted to give you some practical ways to respond. And I want to suggest three things today that I've known in my own life uh, some ways in, and some places in which hunger grows, okay? And they're really practical, they're really simple, and you're going to think I'm Captain Obvious for saying them, right? The first one is this, show up. Just show up. Like, be here. Be in a community. Go to HF if you're a student. Do whatever. Just show up, right? The truth is that the church globally attendance habits have changed post-COVID, right? And I recognize that as a church, we didn't really go there. That topic became all kind of political, saying, please come back to church. Stop not coming to church, right? We didn't really do that. But show up, right? You know that one of the reasons I show up again and again is not because I work here, though that is true, right? But one of the reasons I show up again and again is because you never know what's going to happen, right? Every Sunday I come here, something different happens. Somebody encounters Jesus. Somebody goes for ministry. Someone's life is getting transformed. Somebody's getting helped along the steps of their life kind of moving towards him, helping people out of poverty, people on the street, different things happening in this place. I show up because every week I don't know what's going to happen, right? Like on Thursday, okay, we had a tummy bug in our house all week. You know my feelings on sickness, right? But it was pretty terrible, okay? Pretty terrible week in our house. I was pretty wearied by it all. In fact, I was speaking at a conference all day on Friday, and it, was, I, it didn't come up for me. It went down, right? Just so you know. First conference in my life that I've ever went to packing a spare pair of pants, right? They weren't used, okay? I didn't need them. Prayers appreciated. Anyway, I was feeling awful, right? I got here on Thursday night and I was like, I just don't want to be a worship in prayer, right? I just don't want to be here. I just could be anywhere else, right? I just want to be at home. I want to curl up in a ball. I don't want to be at church. I don't want to be around other people, right? I got here on Thursday night. Couldn't be bothered. Feeling terrible. Actually, I offered, offered for Joy if she wanted to go instead of me. She declined because she's much less holy than me, right? But I came. <laughs> and you know what? I was just wrecked by what God did in the room. Just wrecked. 
I just looked around at God moving in people's lives. People broken as the Holy Spirit came. People offering themselves up in response. I came in one way and I left different. Didn't want to be here, but I went home hungry. Show up. Being honest with you, I have never met anyone who deepened in their relationship with Jesus while taking a step back from the church. I've never met anyone that's deepened in their faith while stepping back from God's people. If that's you, show up. Second, be around. And by that I mean be around some people, right? Just being around others. We had some people from church over at our house a couple of weeks ago for some food. And we had one of those evenings, right, where we could have talked about anything, football, like whatever, right? But actually we spent the evening just talking about how each of us came to faith in Jesus, right? It was one of those evenings where you're just talking about, just talking about Jesus' work in each other's lives and it wasn't forced, it just kind of happened. And you know what? It was such a stirring thing for me personally in my faith, right? But, and you know what I want to say to you is you have no idea how much somebody else needs your life, your faith, and your testimony. Like you might be thinking, oh, I don't really need them. But the point is there's other people that need you. I posted a song on Instagram this week. It was just it's been really speak. It was actually the song called Psalm 63, okay? It's kind of been one of the reasons this psalm has been ringing in my ears. It's an incredible song, and it's really been speaking to me this last week. I posted it, and I get this text from somebody basically saying, had a really rubbish day at work, got home from work, pretty despairing about the state of my workplace, was about to just veg out, saw you post about this song, listened to it, and now I'm in the presence of Jesus. People need you. Be around others. I'd also extend that to the stories of the saints, for example. There's great books out there that talk about the stories of faith and hunger in people's lives. Podcasts you listen to, all that stuff. We need to let that stuff filter into us and cultivate hunger as we look on the lives and learn from the lives of others. Be around, show up, and thirdly, take your time. And by that I mean that we're a big kind of uh, wood-burning stove family, right? You will find my, life, my wife lighting a fire anytime from about September till May, right? She's just that person. And she'll be sat directly in front of it. Like, if you come to her, she will be literally sat. Like, my back is probably burnt off by now, but she's, like, sitting in front of the fire. That's the way she is, okay? But the one thing we learned, okay, we grew up in houses with fires all our lives, coal fires and all that sort of stuff. And then we got a wood-burning stove. And the fire kept going out when we lit it, right? And I'm like, Am I some sort of plonker, right? Like, I'm meant to be a man. I'm meant to know how to light a fire, right? Come on now. Like, my father-in-law does the same. He comes to our house, lights a fire. Can't work out why it doesn't really work, okay? Because what I've learned in the time that I've owned a wood-burning stove is that there's a way to light the fire. Small pieces, medium pieces, big pieces. It takes time to build a fire. And so what I want to say to you today, it takes time to be set alight. It takes time to be set alight. Maybe just this today, you're like, you know what, I'm here for the first time in a month. I'm going to start showing up. Maybe you're going to plug more deeply into other people. Maybe you're going to change your podcast habits. Maybe you're going to start saying to the Lord, when you come here on a Sunday, even though I don't feel it, Jesus, I'm going to start offering you praise. Maybe you're going to start to change your habits and your rhythms. You're going to start to take up better practices and spiritual formation. Whatever it is, it takes time to build a fire. And there's a way that we need to do it.